I don't know what's going to happen past Wednesday's practice. So if I had my crystal ball, I'd whip it out. But uh, you asked me who's going to be the starter this week, and if Fitz is going to be the starter, and then if at some point he isn't, then Jameis will be back in there. Dead Dirk walking, could it be? Dirk Cutter, I don't know if you want to whip out the crystal ball. It may not be pretty the last seven games of this season. We'll delve into that and so much more. Welcome to our podcast here on PeterPirates.com. A few, <clears throat> excuse me, extra bucks. Uh, Roy Cummings, our Bucks insider, will join us <clears throat> in a second, along with uh, Justin Thomas, our uh, esteemed producer. We'd like to thank our title sponsors, House of Brews and Sea Dog Brewing Company. Uh, great brews, great food, great service. Uh, Justin, uh, what's the vibe you get from uh, Dirk Cutter lately? Well, first, I'm worried about you. Are you getting choked up over uh, Dirk? Yeah, I was trying trying to uh, get my voice back while talking, which is always a challenge. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm good. You know what, Roy? You've covered Dirk Cutter, you know, since he was OC with Lovey Smith. Um, Always opinionated guy. First of all, good to, good to be on with you again. But what's the vibe you're getting from him? You were at the press conference after the game with Washington, and, and then the subsequent, you know, you've seen some of the clips from Mondays. It just seems like it's just, it's not there, man. It's not. Yeah, I think he's, um, I think he's beyond frustrated. The Dirk I'm seeing, you know, he's lost a little bit of that cocky edge. Uh, I almost, I gotta hate to use the, the phrase defeated because I don't think that's accurate. Um, but he's. He's clearly so frustrated. Um, I think he's kind of at his wit's end. I think he feels like, you know, like last week was, to me, it's a perfect example of the frustration that's building up. You know, he's got this offense, which can produce points and yards at seemingly at will, right? He's got a defense that can't stop anybody. All of a sudden last week, the defense finally comes around and the offense can't put the, can't put the ball in the end zone. And they can't even kick a field goal to keep it close. I mean, that's how it's like, I think he feels like whatever I, it doesn't matter what I do anymore. Everything goes, goes against us. And uh, I think he's just kind of, you know, ridiculously frustrated and and lost as to, you know, what the next move should be. You know, and I've heard some people criticize him, you know, for saying, you know, I didn't have a great message for the team. You know, I I don't know what to say. I don't know what the answer is. I think he's just being honest Um, because let's face it. None of us know what the answer is. We've seen this go on now for weeks and, you know, none of us really can tell, you know, okay, what's the fix? Because if it was obvious, you would just make that fix, right? Well, it's not that simple. And I think they're, I think Dirk's, you know, having a hard time accepting that, that it's, it's just not that simple. I think the Bucks personify that the numbers don't always tell the story. Number one offense in the NFL still, a number one passing offense in the NFL still, Tony Dungy had a great point on Twitter, Roy. The Saints had 509 yards. They score 51 points. The Bucks had 501 yards and score three points. How does that happen? It seems impossible to me that you could go up and down the field that many times and end up with one field goal. Well, it, <laughs> it, it happens when your kicker misses two field goal attempts. You have a quarterback who fumbles the ball in the red zone once. Um uh, throws an interception in the red zone another time. You have a center who snaps the ball behind the uh, the, the quarterback for a 15-yard loss from the 14-yard line. Um, 
you know, forcing yet another field goal try. Uh, when you have a running back run into the 18-yard line and then have the ball popped out of his arm so hard that uh, it, it turns out it turns into a touchback because it goes into the end zone, that's how you explain it. Now, how does all that happen? That's the that's the one that really makes you wonder because, again, we, we've used the word you know or the phrase I guess it is snake bit in this podcast before because. It's what it seems like with, with Dirk Cutter right now. He seems a little snake bit. It's like no matter what he does, it, it works against them. You would hope, you would think, you know, maybe this tide is going to turn somehow. That, you know, maybe from this point on, everything's going to go their way. And maybe it will. Uh, that would be miraculous. But right now, it doesn't matter what they do. It seems to go against them. Well, I referenced the dead Dirk walking. We had him open the podcast with his comments on the quarterback situation and he mentioned the crystal ball. I'm not sure if that crystal ball looks that well right now. And, you know, you mentioned all the reasons they didn't score and didn't capitalize off having 501 yards. Here's what Dirk Cutter said about the red zone problems, and he says it's not one thing. We had two turnovers. Uh, we had a sack in the red zone. We had a holding penalty in the red zone. We had a shotgun snap slip out of the center's hand for a big loss in the red zone. We had two drop passes in the red zone. I don't, I don't, I don't see the common denominator there. And I, there's always, there's a couple of plays I'd like to have called different if I could call them again. Yeah, see, I didn't even, I didn't even hit on all of them. Uh, I forgot about the two drop passes. Mike Evans, a drop pass in the end zone, not the red zone, in the end zone, uh, was one of them. A drop pass by Cameron Bright in the red zone, but a, but a, a, a drop pass by Mike Evans in the red, in the end zone with three and a half minutes left to play because the next play was the fumble by. Uh, by Ryan Fitzpatrick in the fourth quarter, where if they score there, um, you know, you're, you're in a position where all you got to do is play defense like they've been doing, go down and score again and you win. So that that's how, that's just how, how baffling this whole situation is for these guys. All right. He mentioned play calling. Uh, this is, uh, this is <laughs> the common refrain this season. Who's going to play quarterback and who's calling plays. Is it Dirk Cutter or Todd Munkin? Well, I think he surprised many people by saying he, called the plays against the Washington Redskins and Dirk Cutter talked about that on Monday. Well, I've been thinking about it a lot and I think I think Todd Munkin has done a terrific job calling the plays. That's why that's why he's continued to do it. But in this game, I, I just felt like the type of game it was going to be based on on Washington's offense, I thought that we needed to try to control the clock a little bit more and try to get our defense uh, give our defense a little bit of time, maybe less time on the field, that maybe we needed to try to run it a little bit more and use our RPOs a little bit more. So that was that was the main reason behind it. Is it a case of Dirk just saying, you know what, everything's going bad. Uh, I'm going to take the bull by the horns. But you know what, Roy, we, you know, we've talked about this in the last podcast. Uh, you know, the defense wasn't, you know, the 85 Bears last Sunday, but they were better and they played good enough to win. It's just a curious time when you have the number one, statistically anyway, offense in the NFL, all of a sudden you grab the reins. It's just, to me, it's weird. It is weird, um, but uh, for, for a moment here, let's take Dirk at his word and um, let's say that uh, his reasoning is, is absolutely on the mark. That's exactly what it was, that he thought that, uh, hey, I want to see us run the ball a little bit more early on, keep our defense fresh. Um, throughout the game, that kind of thing, it worked. From that standpoint, it worked. I noticed early on in the game that they were certainly trying to establish the run much better than they have in previous games. 
They got a little bit better game and maybe one of the best games of the year out of Peyton Barber as a result. Um, had some nice sizable gains in the running game, very balanced offensively, uh, moving the ball at least, you know, between the 20s. Uh, so that part worked. And as, and as far as if this was designed in some way to help the defense uh, stay fresh and be more effective, well, it worked. Like you said, no, not the 85 Bears, uh, not the 99 Bucks, But uh, at the end of the day, um, it was one heck of an effort there by uh, by that defense. It was the defense that kept them in this game and, and gave them a chance. So it worked from that standpoint. Now, do I buy that that was the whole reasoning? Part of me thinks that this is this was a move designed primarily out of preservation. Uh, him trying to preserve his job and say, look, if I'm going down, as everybody seems to think, uh, I'm going to go down doing it my way. Uh, I'm not going to have any regrets. Uh, I think I'm a pretty good play caller. And I'm going to play. And I'm going to call the plays. If I'm going down, I'm calling the plays. I, you know, I'm I'm all about positivity, Roy. You know, I I, I hate being negative all the time. We're kind of realists, though, in a lot of ways, in terms of uh, how we present the facts here on our podcast. But I think the one positive thing I'm going to bring this up is the new place kicker, when Cairo Santos, the former Luke Rosa Award winner, at one time when he was healthy hit seven field goals in one game for the Kansas City Chiefs. I like this guy. I think uh, he could be finally, I don't know if it's too late, but I, I kind of like to, if he could be healthy, I'd like to see what he can do here in the coming weeks. Yeah, you know, look, I'm with you. I, I mean, I hope he can somehow regain, you know, his own personal magic. Uh, the thing I wonder is, you know, if, if he's that good, why is he out on the street? Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not like this league doesn't, you know, it's not like, uh, Chris Catanzaro was the only kicker in the league struggling. Uh, he's like the fourth or fifth to lose his job this year. So, um, you know, I, I just have to wonder if this guy's that good, you know, why is he out there? I know the Bucks brought him in a couple weeks ago, looked at him and a couple others, um, but then he was the one they liked the most. They probably looked at the same tape you saw and said, hey, look, this, this guy's still got something. And uh, uh, you know what? For the Bucks' sake, let's hope so, because – I think something a lot of people don't realize is how much um, a kicker that you can't rely on changes your game plan and within a game in particular and changes the way you call plays and the way you think about calling plays in a game. And it, and it's, it really just, it, it tears things apart. I mean, you, you have to completely rethink everything on the fly because you can't rely on this guy hit, hitting anything, you know, a 30 yard field goal, a 28 yard field goal, a 48-yard field goal, when you don't know what you're getting out of that kicker, it has a big impact on how you go about playing the rest of the game. Yeah, your man Canton Zero, we dubbed him uh, the last podcast. There was a report that he was warming up for a kick on the sidelines, and he actually missed the net, and the ball flew up, and the equipment guys had to go chase the ball. So it's been that kind of season for the well, I heard that report. I didn't see that at the stadium yeah. on Sunday, but I, I heard the report the next day. I don't, I don't know if it's accurate, but – um, you know, hey, thing, somebody calls up and says something on the radio and it, it's taken as gospel a lot of times. Um, I'm not saying it this wouldn't was surprise one. Me, it wouldn't surprise me. I've yet to see a fact, a fact checker uh, check that one. But, you know, hey, if it's part of the legend, well, okay. <laughs> the legend. <laughs> the mighty Chandler Canton Zero. Um, yeah. You know, I'd like to commend you, Roy, and you, Justin. You guys have done some really good work over the past couple of weeks. You have – 
force as many turnovers as the Bucks defense. I'd like, to, <laughs> like to congratulate you on that. What the heck? What the hell's going on with that? I mean, how how you would think at one point a tip ball or something? I mean, this is almost unprecedented stuff here. Again, it's one of those things where I think it's part of Dirk's frustration is he looks at it and he says, how, how do we not have a takeaway? And what, what is it? We're going on like 28 quarters straight or something like this. It's, yeah. it's, it's unconscionable that this has happened. You know, he pointed out yesterday uh, that, you know, he, there were a couple of plays. One ball was tipped and it didn't go their way. Another one actually went into the safety's hands and he couldn't secure it. It's like, you know, they just can't seem to get it right. I mean, they, they just I, – I, it, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. As I've said before, at some point you would think just, you know, something's gonna, somebody's just going to drop the ball, you know. It's not like they're not trying to get takeaways. Certainly they're, they're grabbing at the ball. It's one of the reasons I think they missed some tackles is because, you know, they're so focused on trying to take the ball away that they're, they're grabbing at it before they're grabbing at the player and, you know, that kind of thing sometimes. Um, but it's just – you know, but I, I look. I can explain one of the reasons why. When, particularly in terms of interceptions, when you don't have a pass rush, and quarterbacks have time to you know deliver the ball on time in this league, um, step into their throws, they're not going to be too inaccurate. So, uh, what you need to make those interceptions happen in particular is you need a pass rush and tighter coverage. And they've the Bucks have for the most part all season lacked both of those. Let's hear what Dirk Hutter had to say about this uh, mystery that is the Bucks' lack of takeaways. Turnovers are killing us right now. We're, I mean, we're minus 19. We're last in the league, uh, 13 in the last four games. Minus four, 13 turnovers and no takeaways. So uh, that's, that's by far the number one thing that's, that's hurting our team. And, uh, you know, you and I have talked about it many times on, you know, every turnover has its own story. If there was, if there was one there was one thing to it it would be easy to fix but uh as a team you know we're turning it over too much and not not getting any takeaways on the other side no doubt about it it's uh it's been the story of the season so far well you know we've talked about Dirk Cutter's future on this football team and and really uh, Jason Light as well Uh, it seems after the game the players when asked about Dirk Cutter were behind him and Dirk Cutter was asked about the players supporting him and here's what he had to say I can't say I don't appreciate that, but again, this is this is a results business, and uh, you know we all we all know that uh, that's just how it is. It's a it's these are business decisions made. He he just doesn't seem. Uh, I mean, every answer it's almost like a self fulfilling prophecy in a way, Roy. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, it's a bit of a loaded question. For I know. Players. Yeah. You know what are they going to say? Um, it's not. I mean, you know, maybe if we caught him on Uber. Uh, during an Uber ride, you know, on the road one weekend, like we did with the uh, Ottawa Senators penalty killers, you know, maybe we'd get a little bit more realistic opinion how they feel about Dirk. I'm sure there's guys in there who are frustrated, who maybe want him fired, maybe think that he's not doing a good job. And I'm sure there's a camp that believes it's not on Dirk at all. It's on the players. In fact, I I know there's a camp. Uh, There should be, that should be the largest camp is that this is on the players because at the end of the day, it is, it's on the players. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this, Dirk's got a better track record, uh, as a def- offensive coordinator and play caller and not as a head coach necessarily, but, or obviously, but, um, in what he truly does best call plays, design offenses, that kind of thing. He's got a much better track record 
than uh, almost anybody on this football team has as an NFL player. Uh, there's a handful of guys on this uh, team who could probably say they've uh, been as successful doing what they're doing uh, in this league as Dirk Cutter has, um, if you look back at it. But uh, not too many. Not too many. You've covered this team for a long time, though. I love getting your perspective on, on questions like these, though. I, I know it's a loaded question, but it's just kind of the way he answered it and, and the words that he used. Um, but you've covered similar situations in the Raheem Morris era, the Greg Schiano era, the Lovey Smith era. How do you react? I mean, what's your vibe on how the players feel about Dirk compared to some of those coaches? You know, the, everybody seemed to love Raheem. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I, I really think that these guys would have done anything for him. But at the end, it was funny how the players just kind of quit on him. That was the strangest thing with Raheem was that the players just quit on him. Um, John Gruden, they all knew he was, you know, feeding him a line of BS. Um, he also made some guys, uh, you know, play better. You know, he, he challenged guys. Uh, John Lynch will tell you the story how he got, you know, he got some packet of information from John Gruden, his Gruden's first year, you know, in the off season, he looked at it and he goes, what is this? You know, and he, and he realized, you know, it's John Gruden's trying to make him, make him better. asking him to get him to do more. Tony Dungy was the guy everybody respected. It was like, you know, looking up to your father. And nobody wanted to disappoint that man. Hmm. Uh, Greg Schiano had some supporters, but he also had guys who thought this guy's way over the top. Hmm. Um, Lovey Smith had a lot of respect. Hmm. Um, Unfortunately, I I think – I I don't think – I think the group of players that he had were not committed to winning. Um, I think they respected Lovey Smith, but not to the point where they were going to really – go out and bust their ass for him. And I think that was the problem. The chemistry there was bad. Um, Jameis Winston wasn't around, you know, had just come in and really, and uh, the second year. So it, it, it wasn't, you know, guys like Anthony Collins and, and some of those guys, um, they had their money and they didn't care anymore. So they weren't, you know, they, it wasn't like they, they respected Lovey so much that they were going to go out and kill themselves for him or go through a wall for him. But, um, they liked him, you know, so, and what I've seen at Dirk is I, I, I think the players do respect him. Um, you know, I think Jameis respects, I, I think they respect the heck out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the reasons I think you start to hear more and more guys basically take it upon themselves. that This is on me, man. This is not on, on the coach. This is on me. You know, when you talk about Dirk Cutter though, uh, you know, to me, you know, you know, his his pedigree and and his the way he's he's you know kind of inherited this team and he had the great start to the year uh, to his career. It's just to me it's amazing how fast things turned on him and and how you know so many things just went south so quickly for him. Because think about the expectations after that first year. Even Mike Smith. I mean, Mike Smith was a coveted guy in the offseason. And I know it's been a couple of years now, but boy, it's just, it really is kind of a Murphy's Law deal with him in a lot of ways. I know he hasn't been perfect, but boy, the dominoes fell quickly. You're right. And, and that's the thing that's hard to, to really figure out. Um, my best guess is that, and again, it's mostly been the defense that, that's really struggled. You know, it wasn't much, it wasn't very good last year either. Let's not forget that. The offense really struggled in the red zone last year. For some strange reason, um, it had nothing to do with play calling. It was execution. But um, for, for some for some reason that, you know, and, and again, the, again, you know what? The one thing, he, the one constant has been the kicker. He's never had a good kicker 
or yeah. a kicker he can actually rely on. And I think that's uh, that's obviously been a point of frustration, and, and rightfully so. Uh, I'm not blaming it all on kickers, but um, mm-hmm. that's been the one constant because you're right. Uh, the offense was you know seemingly getting better. He's loaded with weapons. You, see, you look at it now. I mean, the, the best offense in the NFL, uh, you know, if you're looking at numbers, I mean, they have no trouble moving the ball against anybody. Until last week, they've had no trouble moving the ball and putting it in the end zone. Um, it's been the defense. And last year, the, you know, there was that one stretch, second half of, the, of Dirk's first season as head coach with Mike Smith as the coordinator, that the defense really played well. That's what got Mike Smith back. Everybody said, you can't lose this guy. And when they held on to him, Maybe it wasn't the best thing because I, I didn't see a lot of adjustments. I haven't seen a lot of adjustments uh, made uh, by the defense since then. They brought in a lot of new guys and a lot of new coaches. And you know what? Who knows? Maybe all these newcomers and everything, maybe that's just destroying the chemistry. Maybe that's the problem. Yeah, you talk about uh, Uber riding with the players. If you Uber ride with Dirk, I'd love to get his reaction on how Marcus Mariota's kind of turned his career around the last couple of weeks, especially with that win against the New England Patriots, because that, that was kind of his guy. I think he wanted him more than Winston, didn't he? By he, all did. he did. Um, yeah. and, then he, you know, and then he got to know Winston a little bit better, and I think he you know, was fully on board with Winston. And before we you know, start to crown Marcus Mariota as the next uh, – uh, Joe Montana. Joe Montana. Let's let's slow down. He's had a couple of good games, you know. Uh, James Winston had five good games at the end of last year and had a you know had a real nice training camp this year. He's he's come out of the shoot, uh, you know, since his suspension, trying to figure things out. Well, to defend James, though, Roy, if the Bucks had a kicker, he might have beaten Tom Brady last year too. That's right. You know, just, just right. Say, you're just right. Say. You're absolutely right. And I and I'll say this. That to me, uh, I will I will par- probably point to as the turning point in the Dirk Cutter era. Uh, this was a very good football team with him as a head coach that first year. Last year, um, it, it wasn't a great start, but they were in a position where they were uh, they were in a position to beat the the, the Super Bowl champs or the Patriots, um, you know, at home, and the kicker couldn't get the job done. And boy, oh boy, where have we heard that before? Yeah. The Glazier family, everybody's calling for, you know, I hear a lot of fans, even some in the media, local sports talk here, you know, saying that they should just get rid of Dirk now. That's not the Glazier style, though, for the most part, is it? No, it's not. And that's why I I, I actually had to laugh today. Uh, I I heard somebody on one of the local radio stations uh, saying just that, you know, I don't know. I don't understand why. And it was a host, you know, somebody who you expect, actually not a host, it was someone who was being, um, you know, portrayed as a Buccaneers insider. I've, I've never heard the guy, so I don't know who he is. But um, saying that, yeah, I think, you know, I think maybe uh, they might give him a couple of weeks and then they'll make a move. Like, no, you don't understand. That's not the Glazers, man. They, they don't do that. Right. Um, they, they are very they are very patient, uh, much to the frustration of the of the fans oftentimes about how they do deal with their head coaches. I mean, don't forget, uh, you know, we thought Lovey Smith was was, you know, free and clear. We thought John Gruden was free and clear. Uh, they're not necessarily uh, Black Monday guys either. So um, who knows? I, I think this is going to be a Black Monday move uh, if things keep going the way they have so far, uh, if there's not a major turnaround. But, um, you know, you never know with the Glazers. They uh, they play it different. They hold it really close to the vest. No one knows. Well, before we get to three and out, I want to address one other thing. Obviously, you know, Cairo Santos was picked up. Chandler Catanzaro was, was cut this week. But Levante David has an MCL sprain. They – bring back Kevin Mentor. Boy, if they lose David, they've already lost Alexander. I mean, this defense is 
it's scary how bad it could be if they lose David. Well, that's another thing. Um, nobody's going to give nobody's going to give you a pass because of injuries. But this right. team's been beat up. Look, I, I still think that one of the biggest problems with the defense is the fact that uh, uh, the secondary you're losing three, you're missing three quarters of the the projected starting secondary, and uh, you know w- w- some of them aren't great players. All right, Chris Conti's not great. Vernon Hargrave's not great, but they're the best this team has. And when you lose guys like that, uh, I think it really affects you. And, you know, I think this team could have – I think those guys were probably worth a victory or two. And imagine this team with two more victories. Um, maybe we're, we're probably all talking about it a lot differently. And maybe the one, of, one of those victories was this past week. Who knows? Um, those are uh, – that's, that's been a big, uh, big loss. Man, so many dominoes falling in the dirt cutter era. Well, Justin, you know what time it is, right? Certainly do. Let's do it. Boy, from throwing Kit for not Kit Kats, bit of honeys to uh, boy that depressing press conference after the Washington game. Quite a roller coaster road of press conferences for Dirk Cutter. All right, if you're the Glazier family, and it just keeps going like it seems to be going. And you have these three finalists to pick from after the big search, Roy Cummings. Who do you pick to replace Dirk Cutter? John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, or how about the spunky Josh McDaniels? Uh, Josh McDaniels is not even on my call list, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I like the Harbaugh's. I really do. Um, I I don't think – Michigan Harbaugh is is coming. Yeah, I, I think he's got he's I think he's finally got things rolling in Ann Arbor, and uh, well, so a, Urban may be leaving soon anyway. Yeah, that's right. And uh, look, I, I think they're going to be a playoff team this year, and so I don't see that one happening. Now, if the Redskins Redskins, I'll be all right. If the Ravens want to give up on their Harbaugh, I'll take him. I want you know what I want for this team. I want an NFL head coach. This is the reason I thought Lovey Smith was a good call, because he's a legitimate NFL head coach. He yeah. knows how to. What what a lot of fans don't understand is that when you become the head coach, you've got to have your hands in everything, and you spend more time with the media uh, and, and doing all kinds of other things that you never did before that take you away from doing all the little things that you did that made you so successful primarily usually as a coordinator, right? It takes a certain kind of guy with a certain skill set to be a head coach, someone who understands the administrative duties. Um, you know, he's involved in all the meetings. He's not just focused on one position or one group. He needs everything. That's a professional head coach. There aren't many of them out there. But I think uh, both Harbaugh's are one of them. But I'll take John. If he's available, I'm jumping all over it, if he'd come. You know, John's kind of in trouble in Baltimore. If they keep struggling, you know, the guys won a Super Bowl. I think he's a better coach than Brian Billick, who was kind of uh, one Super Bowl, and then he, he left and never coached again. I think John has a proven track record, and it could be a good, you know, time for him to make that change, kind of parachute here and start over again. So, yeah, I think out of all the names I've heard, you know, we've talked about Dirk Cutter kind of being that hot uh, you know, coordinator, when the Bucks hired him, it's always risky with those guys. I'd rather have a guy who's won before and has won for a long time, 
you know, it's, it's funny. I cover the New Orleans Saints, and they had three straight seven and nine seasons under Sean Payton. I was frankly surprised the Saints re-upped him as long as they did. But, you know, he's kind of like Joe Madden. You, you win a Super Bowl in New Orleans, it's like winning a World Series in Chicago. You have a little more time, and that paid off for New Orleans. I think if you have a guy who has a track record and has a specialty, and John Harbaugh is the kind of guy who has a specialty too in terms of special teams and doing what he's done throughout his career, I agree with that. All right, our second question in our three and out three questions, and we're out of here in this podcast. Which hex is more powerful, in your opinion, in terms of the history of the Bucks, Roy? The Matt Bryant hex or the Doug Williams hex? <laughs> um, I, I'm going to say the Matt Bryant hex because uh, I, I think they've overcome the, the, the Doug Williams one. I mean, they, they got to the playoffs – they were one of the best teams in the NFL for a, you know almost a generation of players at least with Tony Dungy there and you know John Gruden winning the Super Bowl obviously and but never but they never had a franchise guy ever not I mean it looked like a couple were going to get over the hump and they never did that's well, the weird thing. but part of that part of that is because they never had the patience yeah you know to to stick with a guy uh, several quarterbacks have left this organization and gone on to do some pretty good things Vinny Testaverde uh, Trent Dilfer, believe it or not, went on to win a Super Bowl. Um, other guys have left this organization at that position and, and been, you know, fairly good. Um, John, John Gruden, I mean, part of the, the problem with when you had Gruden was he never wanted to draft a quarterback. Um, so they, they, they skipped what, you know, all those years of, uh, with John Gruden in place. Uh, the, they blew off, they blew the opportunity to, to draft a quarterback and develop him. Could have had Aaron Rodgers. Oh, could have had yeah. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. So, and I, look, I, I'm not ready to give up on Jameis Winston. I think Jameis Winston uh, still has the ability to be a really good quarterback and uh, and will be one day. I, I think he will be. And uh, I think he will lead teams to the playoffs um, at some point, maybe consistently. And uh, it'd be nice if it was the Bucks, but, you know, it's typical of the Bucks. They'll probably quit on a guy too soon. I always like Chris Sims. Boy, the, the spleen thing was really, you know, I don't know if he would have been a franchise guy, but he led him to the playoffs. He needed a little bit of work. You're right. And uh, he just needed some work. And that's what John Gruden couldn't give him. Yeah. And that's that's where Chris Sims, you know, how he fell off the map. He didn't have an opportunity to be coached because uh, John Gruden didn't have any interest in coaching him. Chris Sims really good in the media, by the way. I, I, yeah. I, always, I always liked him, too. I'm good to see that he's kind of landed on his feet and found his niche. Always a good guy. And I'll tell you this about Chris Sims. I remember doing a story on him. Uh, it was, I think, the 2006 draft. It's when Liner was hot. It's when uh, Vince Young and Jay Cutler. And he said that he thought out of those three, Jay Cutler would have the best career. And, you know, he didn't have a Hall of Fame career, but it was certainly better than Matt Leiner and Vince Young. And you know what? He was in the minority back then saying that. So he's yeah, always kind of had a knack for, for picking guys. All right. We'll bring Justin in for this one. Um, a sad day. We lost Stan Lee, of course, the founder of so many uh, iconic superheroes, Spider-Man, um, the X-Men, Thor. I could go down the list. Um, our condolences to Stan Lee and, of course, his family. But I want to pay tribute by asking both you and Justin, who is your favorite superhero of all time? You know, I guess for me, um, <laughs> you didn't know that was coming today, did you? No, I didn't. Um, that's a good one. I guess for me, it would probably be. You know what? I I, I guess I liked Spider Man, just because he was a 
you know, he was looked he was looked down upon by everybody, and and he somehow developed this superpower and kind of showed everybody, hey, you know, don't don't, don't go picking on the little guy, man. That's that's not good. Um, I kind of like that idea, that story. Um, I always liked his, you know, his outfit. I thought that was cool. And uh, anybody who can like, you know, swing on on little wires and stuff, or you know, <laughs> shoot shoot out, you know, spider webs from his hands and and uh, you know use them like they're uh, vines in a, in a jungle. That's kind of cool. So I, I liked him. You know, our producer, Justin Thomas, he, uh, he talked me out of a multiple choice question. We just wanted to leave this open-ended. So with that said, Justin, who's your favorite superhero? Well, before I give my answer, I'm curious, what was your multiple choices? What were they going to be? Well, I'll, I'll say it after we all give our answers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Darren. I don't want to taint your answer. So. Well, that's I figured who you had as your multiple choice wasn't going to be who is my favorite, which is why I pushed to go open ended. But my favorite is uh, Daredevil. Uh, I've always liked huh? the idea of a blind superhero. I love Frank Miller's run of the comics, the way he drew him, the way he wrote. Uh, huge fan of Daredevil. That would not have been in the multiple choice. See, I figured. No wonder he talked you out of it because that's uh, that's that's a that's a dark horse uh, selection there. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go check that out, man. I don't know too much about that. That's good stuff. I didn't. You know, I like it though. Yeah, I do too. Um, I was gonna say Spider Man, Superman, and Batman. To me, those are kind of like the, the the Mount Rushmore of of superheroes. And and if I have to pick one of those three, I would pick. I I always like Superman because I always like the movies. I like Christopher Reeve and. The, and the whole Clark Kent, Superman, that whole plot, that's, you know. I'm not, a big, super, I'm not a big superhero guy, but to me, that one, that, that's the one I always kind of liked. Yeah, I was never much of a superhero guy either. Um, but, I, you know, I certainly, you know, I like the Superman TV shows back in the day. I'm old enough to have watched those. The Batman shows, you know, with Adam West. And uh, <laughs> that, was, that was cool. I always liked that. But uh, Spider-Man was, he was, he was special, man. Like Batman needs that sidekick, man. The others don't need sidekicks. You know, exactly. Robin. Yeah. Come on, what do you need Robin for? Yeah, yeah. What Batman, Robin? Batman hangs. Uh, he can uh, do well on his own without a uh, sidekick. I, I know, but he this seems to need one all the time. Not too often. I, I seem to remember a lot of episodes of Batman where, if it weren't for Robin, they would have been in. Uh, they would have been in Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff, man. Well, uh, from dead Dirk walking to uh, superheroes, man. We covered the gamut. Uh, I appreciate you guys. We'll be back later in the week. That's another rendition of A Few Extra Bucks. Remember, please subscribe to PeterPyrus.com. We just got our uh, numbers out for the uh, training camp in the fall, and we kind of compared everything. Boy, we're getting uh, more and more hits on the podcast. We appreciate it very much. Uh, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, and subscribe. It's free. We'd like to thank our title sponsors who've been with us. For uh, House of Brews and Sea Dog Brewing Company, great brews, great food, great service. Until next time, we will uh, see you uh, and talk to you again later this week. <laughs>